0: like a recipe and I looked at it in rehearsal and I was like we need some tumblers and I went online and I posted an ad on DSNYC and lo and behold the next day I had two tumblers I was I'm like yes it needed that like you know we were at the end of the show it needed a pow
1: <laughs> that's choreographer Amy Jordan talking about creating the ending of her recent dance rebirth and this is artworks the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts I'm Josephine Reed This past April, I was in New York City and stopped by the Alvin Ailey Center to see the fourth annual Jump on the Dance Wagon Festival. Jump on the Dance Wagon brings together contemporary performances by four up-and-coming choreographers. The last work of that evening was a four-part full-length piece that burst off the stage, combining ballet, hip-hop, jazz, and contemporary dance into a cohesive whole that brought the audience to its feet. That was Rebirth. It was choreographed by former dancer, Amy Jordan, and performed by her company, Victory Dance Project. The sheer energy, grace, and life that leapt off the stage that evening, I found is in keeping with the mission of the two-year-old Victory Dance Project, which is to make the impossible possible with the power of movement. Amy Jordan knows that power firsthand. Diabetic since childhood, she was forced to stop dancing when she partially lost her vision. She dealt with that setback by founding a diabetes and obesity prevention program for kids called Sweet Enough Movement. And the idea for the Victory Dance Project itself came about as Amy Jordan recovered from a near-fatal accident.
0: May 1st, 2009, when I was crossing the street in New York and was hit and subsequently run over by a New York City bus, and I was literally pinned under the tire and had no feeling in my right leg, which I thought at that point had been severed off my body. And I just kept thinking, oh, <laughs> you know, dancing. And I was literally saying victory dancing. It's funny what comes in your mind at your moment of potential transition. And that was way
1: before the Victory Dance Project started. Oh, one could say it started at that second. It started
0: at that moment. The paramedics thought I was hallucinating. they're like, what are you talking about? I practice Buddhism, Nichiren Buddhism with the SGI USA. And I was also chanting in the ambulance. So between the Nam-myoho-renge-kyo and the victory dancing, victory dancing, they thought I had really was just completely in shock, which I'm sure I was at that point. So I, I really feel like on a higher level, it really manifested in that moment.
1: And the idea of dance got you through it? The sense that of That was wanting- the
0: first thing that came into my mind. I sort of knew internally that it was over for me, but somehow there would be something out of it.
1: That would take you forward to the next step. Mm-hmm.
0: When did you start dancing? I was small, five, six. Uh, and then I stopped, and, you know, I was a very athletic child and did a lot of other activities and then came back to it more seriously as a teenager as many teens it was another source of outlet I have diabetes and that's hard when you're young this was in the 80s way before the technology and sort of ideology of today around diabetes so a lot of stigma at that time for me and I could go dance and express through my body and be physical and it was at that point I decided to really pursue a career and I literally graduated high school on a Thursday, did my senior studio recitals on Friday and Saturday, and was in New York in class at Steps the following Thursday. So I don't believe in wasting any time. (laughs) It's just my nature.
1: Clearly, if you're still pinned under a bus thinking victory
0: dance. (laughs) Actually, I was like, I have to get to work and do the payroll. And they're like, you're not going to work anytime soon, Missy. I was like, what?
1: You embrace a lot of different dancing. I'm thinking of Rebirth, which is clearly influenced by ballet and modern in hip-hop. It just embraces it all. Was that true for you as a dancer as well?
0: It became true. You know, I come from the old school, the very strict classical ballet, which I'm so grateful for. And not only for the, the actual artistic training, but the discipline and the mindset and the responsibility of an artist and respect for what it is and the space. But as I, you know, moved out into the bigger world and came to New York and was exposed to more theater dance, and then I was accepted onto a commercial scholarship in Los Angeles in the late 80s at the time of Michael Jackson. Michael Peters was doing all his work. He's passed on now. But Blonde Ambition, Madonna with Vince Patterson and Rhythm Nation, like that era when the big commercial tours were kind of taking on a new life in terms of commercial dance and MTV was really coming into its own and it was a really special time to be in LA and even though I was 20 and I couldn't really appreciate it I was completely overwhelmed and intimidated by it (laughs) you know people had their teachers and I thought are you crazy like I took the opportunity being on scholarship I took 18 classes a week anybody that taught class I just was like a sponge.
1: Well, you were learning all these different dance styles. Was there any that you really didn't take to
0: or you were sort of resistant to? I sort of had to learn to hip hop. (laughs) I was a little bit snobby about it at first. I was like, I'm classically trained. But all of a sudden I was like, oh, I got. And then I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then when I came back to New York, I was teaching it. And I feel very grateful that I have such a versatile training Yeah, it certainly
1: showed in the choreography I saw yesterday. You could just see it all, but you blended it together so beautifully. Thank you. This is what I wanted to ask you. When you have diabetes, you need to be very careful about your (laughs) diet. And dancers often have real food issues.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that really was the catalyst to my visual impairment. I ended up actually having visual complications of my diabetes and it really the end of a potentially really fabulous performance career you know but as we say in buddhism every obstacle yields a new opportunity so i i couldn't appreciate it at the time but you know i was hospitalized for my eating disorder and had to really spend some time what's the word recovery i don't know, recovering i think i've outgrown it now you know i was so young uh, but it took its toll for sure in my early 20s You know, I had a lot of eye surgery and I completely lost vision in one and part of the other. And it was a very long, dramatic, dramatic experience. I had to stop driving. And you were in L.A. I was in L.A. Yeah. So say no more with a partial vision and working in a stage situation i mean it basically ended my performance career even last night in the bow i was like you guys have to touch me on the shoulder pull me this way because i'm completely disoriented i i don't know i don't like being on the stage at this point anyway and everyone's like you have to take a bow and i'm like oh can i just be in the booth in my hoodie and my baseball cap please and you guys go be fat.
1: they're like no so you partially lost your vision. You really couldn't perform on the stage. What was the next step?
0: I very weirdly have both the artistic and the business side of my brain working simultaneously, and that's a blessing. And, and rare. Rare. Um, I had started a, a youth dance diabetes and obesity prevention program for kids.
1: That's Sweet Enough.
0: Sweet Enough Movement.
1: And Sweet Enough Movement was a finalist for Michelle Obama's In Childhood Obesity Challenge.
0: Yeah, it was really cool. So I had become very interested in everything going on behind the scenes and telling story and how to get the kids inspired to move and It was a little bit of a hiding place for me, too, because I always secretly wanted to work with professional dancers, and I was still a little bit feeling the loss of my own career. Okay,
1: Sweet Enough Movements combines dance,
0: fitness,
1: and nutrition for kids. Tell me how you developed this.
0: I started volunteering at the American Diabetes Association, where I soon found that, you know, when I was a young person with diabetes, there was no real support system I had no peers with diabetes. You know, it was sort of this hidden thing. We didn't talk about it. There's a lot of shame and denial in the family about it. So, when I found that commonality, I started a program, which then became my own company using dance and theater. You know, the arts is such a catalyst for unity and bringing people together. And it was a fun thing that young people could participate in and. And we thought, well, let's take this into the schools and start a dialogue and get kids moving. And, it, you know, one thing built on another. Because of my background and the level of community I had resource to, I could pull in very high-level dancers that were, you know, especially back here in New York, my teachers, you know. The kids would be like, oh, I saw Mr. Bryan and Mary J. Blige's video. And it was really cool. So we made it fun. And as they liked us more, the conversation started to open up. You know, and had a place to kind of talk about their concerns in a way that they didn't otherwise. And
1: Yeah, well, as you say, I think one thing the arts can do is open a door to conversations yeah. that are very difficult to have.
0: Yes. We kept the fun factor high. I always brought in people that were very relatable, so they felt very comfortable engaging I got to meet Chef Mike from the Food Network, and he was a really cool, young, hip guy.
1: <laughs> now, were you interested in being a choreographer at that time?
0: I had done a little bit of playing around when I was in L.A., and I, I came back to New York in 2002. I re- immerse myself just in class with my own dancing at a certain point years after all of my visual surgery and stuff was over and I had kind of adapted to it and I started looking at choreography but in the years prior to my accident I had become very interested in the behind the scenes not only the choreography but the producing. So it was after the accident in
1: 2009 Mm -hmm. that you really moved into choreography.
0: Yes. You know, I, I had 18 surgeries in three and a half years and a lot of infection and cardiac trauma. And every time I turned around, there was another life and death. <laughs> Finally, I was like, you know, let's just go for the gust. I had no idea even in the initial stages that we were going to end up with this whole movement. But I, I do things big. So I suppose if I'm going to take it on, I'm to. <laughs> How did the Victory Dance Project get off the ground? It was a, an interesting series of events that led to the first show, which was actually my birthday party. And again, because of the community that I had been affiliated to, I mentioned to a couple people, hey, do you know anybody that wants a gig? We had a little bit of money and we want to have this party and we want to try. And I mean, literally for the first performance, which was like 200 people in studio at Ailey showed up and I had this company of 10 of like the most in-demand concert dancers in New York. I was like, "Holy moly! Like, <laughs> do they know? Like, I've never done this in this capacity before." <laughs> so that's that was our starting point. So you that's know? how it literally came <laughs> together. Like, hey, do you know par- somebody. Yeah, I and I, so someone yeah, called someone, and then I knew someone. Out. I mean, we uh, we had a little audition, but like friends of friends and people I knew from the fitness community, people I knew from the SGI Buddhist community that were artists.
1: And what was your goal, Amy? You know, you were doing something for your birthday party, but what was the thought process? What were you thinking?
0: I collaborated on that with an acquaintance of mine who had had a traumatic brain injury, who does more performance art kind of work. And like, what shall we call it again? As a Buddhist, I was like, This has to be encouraging. And then the victory dance thing came back to me. And I, you know, it's kind of like when you're short to come up with something, I'm like, Let's call it the victory dance project. I don't know, you know, <laughs> let's put up a Facebook page. And
1: it's a little bit of Judy Garland, and make yes. your let's put on
0: a show, My Dad's Got a Barn, kind of like that. And... And then it kind of grew, like I had this piece of choreography I had taught in class when I taught class prior to the accident that I was intrigued with, and I was intrigued by the story behind it. And, and then I thought, well, if we're going to do that, then we have to set that up. I, I like to tell story. I want it to be engaging. So I thought, well, we're going to have to set that up so it makes sense. And then I looked around, and I had six of the most beautiful male dancers in New York, and I thought... This is probably not going to happen again from a scheduling perspective. (laughs) I'm never going to have them all in the room together, you know, winner from So You Think You Can Dance, and one's in Hamilton now, and one was seven years in the Ailey Company, and the other just came off Amazing Grace. I mean, it was crazy. So I thought well I can't not do something with these men and that's how that, and that became the opener and then I thought well then we have to have a resolution to the other and I'm like oh well, we have this opening piece that I had choreographed in LA that I could rework that's like a fun production so suddenly we had like a full 25 minute ballet plus an opening it just kept growing you know <laughs> and I'm like then we have to have a finale because there has to be an end point you can't just drop people and have them leave like <laughs>
1: So was that human Revolution?
0: Yeah, that was our signature work. So that was the first... It was a full ballet, The first minutes. victory dance
1: project was a full-length ballet. It was a
0: full-length contemporary ballet.
1: <laughs> and very well received.
0: Yes, we were oversold, standing room only, which is hard to do in New York. I was like, holy boy, there's a lot of people. And I also used it as an opportunity to have a talk back. Both my colleague had her neurology team, and then two of my surgeons came to talk about... You know the point of overcoming trauma and how people do that, how how that art can be so helpful, yeah, and how their perspective of being in those moments that were so touch and go for so many so long with me, and you know these are the best trauma surgeons literally on the planet saying, "Well, we didn't know how it was going to go with you there for a while, but <laughs> they literally rebuilt me, so having them there. And it was my actual birthday, which, again, I didn't plan. The only time they had the space available was on my actual birthday. So I was like, okay, cool.
1: And from thence, the Victory Dance Project Company Mm -hmm. came Came. into being. Tell me how you found dancers for that. Because it's one thing putting it together for a night, but then saying, okay, let's have a company.
0: You know, that has sort of evolved even into what you saw yesterday. As I'm growing into my role. You know, I had never done this in this capacity before. Uh, we did another performance in, in May, and I thought, wow, we sold out this show. And then my associate director, Chris Jackson, who was in the early company for seven years, is on their faculty, invited Renee Robinson, who is an icon, I mean, legend, dancer and she was with the Ellie company 31 years or something like that. last dancer hired by Alvin Ellie before he passed and took on the revelations role after Judith Jameson retired it and just a master and she really enjoyed it and I was running around in circles after the show oh my god Renee Robinson was at my show so all these seeds are getting planted like there's something here like the shows are selling out even in Brooklyn that show was at the actors fun theater in Brooklyn and you know we were getting this tremendous response, partly because of the level of the dancers You have all
1: these dancers and they're and they're fabulous, but they're also in other projects doing other shows how
0: do you How do you f-
1: bring them together as a company?
0: I always come at things from the point of mission: what is our mission as an artist for peace, that linear mission of how are we? turning poison into medicine, how are we transforming our situation, make the impossible possible with the power of movement. There's always that prime point underlying all the work. You know, you can go see beautiful dancing, but there's no point behind it and there's no heart behind it. even the most beautiful dancers, you know, kicking and turning is amazing. But So we, you know, again, I was like, let's have a gala. (laughs) Let's do it in 90 days with nine sections of choreography. I take these things on and then I get in the middle and I'm like, holy moly. Oh boy! (laughs) But we did at Ailey City Group last year, and it was really it was a huge learning experience for all of us. Big undertaking for a new company,
1: but bringing dancers into the company, as you say, because you're interested. In a mission. You're an artist for peace. So there's, there's that spine that runs down your work. I imagine you're bringing dancers in who are at least open to that, if not embracing it.
0: One of the big things I'm, I'm learning as I'm growing into this role is to get very clear about that because the level of the company and that we're fortunate to have some great benefactors. So You know, I determined as a producer that I would only work with dancers if they could be well paid for their rehearsal and performance time because... It's New York and you have to live. Well, it's New York and you have to live, and this idea that artists work for free, I don't understand. You know, these kids spend their whole lives training, you wouldn't go to a doctor for free. So, we did get people that were like, oh, this is a cool job that maybe weren't as invested in the mission, which was a good learning teaching point for me. And so, we actually auditioned first company audition when I really decided in the fall to really move forward at a voracious pace with this from a business marketing perspective and really build it out as something visible and important. <laughs> I went to my team and we had an audition and we said to them at the audition this is what we're doing this is why this is what we expect we're on a mission we might be doing these one-off performances but they're all building blocks they're all important this group has to be unified you have to be on time you have we know you're doing other jobs but you have to be committed to this process and we really got that it was really cool to see the transformation of just sort of having this group of dancers together doing really it was beautiful work but that cohesiveness to the mission that's now starting to happen is I'm getting more clear about the the company and where we're going and, you know, and engaging the dancers in the process of the production and the marketing. And so they understand what goes into making this all happen, you know.
1: You're making a family, a professional family. Yes. I'd like to talk a bit about actually creating dance, the process mm. of choreography. Mm-hmm. you begin on a person? How do you do it?
0: Um, I listen to a lot of music. The Human Revolution Ballet started with a combination I taught pre-bus accident, Um, Kelly Clarkson Addicted, which is all about, you know, you're addicted to the relationship. You know, and having challenged that myself, Art Equals Life, you know, I thought, well, this is interesting. And I'm very visual, so... When I hear the music, I get a visual of sort of the architecture of the work and what I want the message to be. It's interesting, especially for me as a, I hate that word, but a disabled choreographer, learning how to communicate what I want because I can't move anymore, certainly at that level. So it becomes an interesting dialogue between myself and the dancers of try this or try that or then someone will do it. And at this level, they'll just be playing around and I'll be like, wait, do that again let's use that. So I have the overall architecture of what I want it to be. And then we work backwards and kind of fill it in. And then I have a whole staff of my rehearsal director. People can come in and help with the physical parts that I can't do or can't show. Is it challenging because you're also physically impaired to actually see? I'm, I'm not sure
1: how your visual impairment affects that.
0: I have very functional vision in one eye, so setting the work is often not a problem. I don't really see the smaller pinpoint cleaning parts, and because I don't actually dance anymore, I might miss things technically, so I have help (laughs) with that. But it's been a learning for me on how to communicate, and I will go into the studio way ahead of time and create choreography, and I'm very organized, I don't like to waste any time, and... I have a very strong idea or stuff already choreographed when we hit rehearsal and then we mold it together. You know, you get in the room, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I have a very clear architecture of what the whole thing will be and then we fill in the blanks with what I've created in preparation and then their input. They bring such a tremendous experience and talent, (laughs) ideas. Let me ask you this.
1: What does seeing differently Give you? Does that enable you to bring something else to the table because you're not looking at that stage Mm -hmm. the way I would look at that stage? Yeah.
0: I'm sure that it does.
1: I know that's a hard question to answer.
0: I hadn't really thought about it, and I generally have such a clear idea of what I'm looking to get out of it. And I think part of the intrigue for the dancers and working with me and the Victory Dance Project is that they really get to participate in the process in a way that maybe they don't where you would just go in with a choreographer who's like, do this and do this and do that. You know, it's not like that here. (laughs) I have an idea. I may have some choreography set, but then there may be other parts. It's like, try this, or they'll be like, what about this? Or what if I do that? And it becomes very much a collaboration. And then they become very invested. And I think that comes through in the work. And I'm fortunate to have a tremendous staff that come in and assist with that of the practical stuff that I really don't see and I'll be like wow I didn't even notice that <laughs> like, well, my I mean my rehearsal director there's a joke that like Gary can see if your like fingernails are pointed the wrong way so <laughs> <laughs> and he's great and he was he's a longtime friend they were with me in the hours and days after the accident so it's a tremendous thing now for us to be together can we talk a
1: little bit about rebirth mm-hmm. which is a ballet in four sections What's the story behind it? How did it grow? That come out? Yeah. <laughs> How did it grow?
0: That was an interesting situation because, you know, I really appreciated Ellen with Jump on the Dance and that we just did, giving you just a blank 20 minutes late You don't see that a lot when you're submitting work for festivals where you can just fill it in. I'm fortunate to have an extraordinary marketing coach and marketing team and looking at kind of incorporating more of my commercial background because the work prior to that had been more strictly contemporary. So I thought, how could I do that, you know, with the opening and ending? They were different pieces that were brought together that somehow weirdly connected the opening and ending, uh, the Alive and the the Calican with everyone flying around that you saw, <laughs> my tumblers. <laughs> it's like a recipe, and I looked at it in rehearsal, and I was like, we need some tumblers. And I went online, and I posted an ad on and Dance on NYC, and lo and behold, the next day, I had two tumblers. I mean, that's the like benefit of being in New York. I'm like, yes, it needed that, like, you know, we were at the end of the show, it needed a pow, you know, and... <laughs> As a business person, you know, and a marketing person, it's always like, think like the buyer. If I'm in the audience, I'm always thinking about what are we giving to the audience? What's going to keep them engaged? As the end of the show? It needs to be POW. You know, what can we bring to them? So that work all came together. It was interesting. You know, again, kind of non-intentionally, it started out just as separate sections, but it, it all, I think because it all has an underlying message you know when we looked at it all together we were like wow this really kind of all goes together like (laughs) came together sort of piecemeal to directly answer your question (laughs) but it works like that sometimes
1: I assume you preserve all your performances through video
0: oh I am adamant I have Nell Shelby productions they're unbelievable that's all they do is shoot dance thank you now and even if people have people coming in, I bring them in. I, I, don't, I don't play with that because you can do the performances, but that's the only thing I have to show people who we are and what we do. You know, People are like, what do you do? I don't skimp on that at all. I'm, I'm a stickler.
1: And that's so new for dance. When mm-hmm. you think about videography being so new and how dance used to be yeah. passed along from dancer to dancer.
0: I always have photographers. I always have cameras rolling in rehearsal for my own memory because I don't have that muscle memory now because I don't actually dance. So I have to video the work. And it's good for the dancers too. You know, we have dancer login on the website so they can go review the changes. You know, it's good for them to see what we're talking about in correction. So I always have cameras rolling. And for on B roll, you know, as we're telling the story of the process. So But in terms of performance, that is an absolute. I've had sort of moments with producers where I'm like, that's non-negotiable with me in terms of bringing in my own team. When you think
1: about the Victory Dance Project looking ahead, where would you like to see it go?
0: We want to build a dynasty. (laughs) (laughs) I really, you know, as an artist, I really want to... Prove that you can build a successful business, that people can be paid well for their skill and time and effort, that the work can continue, that it can have that commercial edge and support and all the things you have to have today, the social media, the celebrity endorsement. Say what you will about it, but it's what you have to have. And to really make the impossible possible with the power of movement, it's all relative. Everyone has something that they're challenging. Sort of be a catalyst in the world. You know, as artists, we're going to create peace. We're going to be the ones to impact people's lives to the point that they're going to want something to change. So just generally speaking, not just the Victory Dance Project. So I take that mission on, you know, and how can we grow it and what avenues can we use most effectively and be paid well. There's no working free here. You know, I'm all about let's see how far we can take it.
1: I honestly cannot wait to see what you do next. Amy, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. We're honored.
1: That's choreographer Amy Jordan. She's the founder of the Victory Dance Project. You can find out more about her and the company at victorydance.org. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.